Welcome to They Came From Outer Space, a radio program where we talk to filmmakers and buffs about their favorite sci-fi film and how it relates to their own work and today's wild world. I'm filmmaker Cameron Kitt, also known here on WIR as DJ Lilas, and you are tuned in to WIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Indie Radio. I'm here today with Eze Oteze and Will Matimo to discuss the 2000 animated sci-fi film, Titan AE. Defense shields have been penetrated. Enemy warships have entered Earth's solar system. Deploy the last wave of fighters. Taking heavy fire! Final warning. Prepare for thermal attack. Evacuate! Evacuate! Launch remaining escape craft! Without a planet, we're no longer a threat. Thanks, Gumbrun. Nice to yeah. be here. Yeah, yeah guys, thanks, thanks for, for being us. here virtually. We're connected <laughs> through the interwebs. The future yeah. is here. <laughs> yeah, everything is digital now. That's where it is. Well, okay, for those who, who haven't immediately recognized these voices, let me give you a quick intro. Essay Oteze is an animator, project manager who loves Chinese action novels, manga, and all things fantasy. He's a project manager at he was a project manager at the Nigerian animation studio Spore Dust, who produced an animated film called Chicken Core, The Rise of Kings. Look it up on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> Chicken Core. Plug, plug away, essay. Chicken yeah. Core, C-O-R-E, The Rise of Kings. It's an action-packed story of rebellion and feathers animated in Toon Boom. And he's also someone who I was lucky enough to get to work with for over six years. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That, that was awesome. It was great working with you as well, Cameron. Yeah, and, so uh, yeah. Now, now that we're no longer officially engaged that way, we can talk movies in this official capacity. Exactly. So uh, now I can really, I can really uh, what's the word, speak my mind, nothing to hold yeah. me back. <laughs> lay in, just lay into it 100%. We're also joined by Will Matimo, who is a filmmaker who went to the VCU Cinema Program and graduated in 2012, just like me. He creates live action music videos and consumes absurd amounts of media all the time. I say, since I read your intro first, I'm going to start with you. Why do you love this movie? Like, it was a really interesting movie, and I saw it a couple of years after it came out. So I didn't see it immediately. I saw it maybe like two years later. And when I saw it, I was like, how did I miss this? Because I just like fell in love with it. Like, I loved the animation techniques they used. Uh, I think the fact that they kind of use CGI for the dredge and it kind of like stood out from the traditional animation that was going on behind them. So they always just felt kind of like weird. Whenever you see them, you get this unsettling feeling in the animation. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's really uh, how I would tickle my senses. Also, uh, there were some animation parts that were just really fluid, especially since I was also trying to study a bit of animation at the time, like mm -hmm. uh, the flight in the swamp, that part where they were like hanging onto the bad legs and stuff and the movement. Um, yeah, it was just great. I think the plot was, well, not, not the greatest plot that could be, but for what it was, it was also, it was well done. Like it was humorous, coherent, and, uh, yeah, and I like the ending. I like the story. I like the twist of them using the dredge as the energy source, like the antagonist kind of being the savior as well. So, yeah, all oh, in yeah. all, yeah, it was an interesting movie. I gave it a solid 8 over 10 at the time, and I watched it again preparing for this interview, and 
yeah, I still maintain my rating. It didn't change? It didn't change? <laughs> it didn't change. Some of the animation, obviously, has not aged perfectly well. But, uh, yeah, it's, the rating stayed the same. There's one thing that didn't age well, and that's the music. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> You don't like the new metal? <laughs> it aged so bad, but the rest of it is fabulous. Okay, so, Will, Will why do you love this movie? Uh, I, I think I my opinion of the movie was kind of set in stone just watching the trailer for it in a theater where it was just like the earth with like solemn narration going over it. And then the earth just blows up right in your face. And uh, to like 13 year old me or however old I was at the time, I was just I was like, I need to see what this is. And it it really it didn't disappoint me back then. And I still think it holds up. I really wish you had said the music. Oh, well, <laughs> new metal is one of my favorite genres. So, I mean, that goes without saying. Honestly, as soon as I heard, it's my time. <laughs> I was like, 10-year-old me was like, yes. Honestly, though, so watching this again, just full disclosure, I watched this with my parents last night. And my parents and I, I grew up in a family that is very hardcore sci-fi. Like there was no escaping that as a kid. So I, it wasn't like a, something I had to worry about. I think my mom got me to, you know, took me to the movie and then got me to VHS. But um, the one thing you notice about this movie is it gets, it starts off quick. Like there's no slow point in this movie. There's no dragging. And I really appreciate that. You know, like you can tell it, it almost felt like they cut a bunch out. Do you know what I mean? When I was watching it, I was like, it felt, felt like they cut a lot of things out because it just moves so quickly. They certainly did. But you can read the Dark Horse comic book in order to yeah. get filled in on all that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> now, have both of you read some of the uh, uh, supporting materials? I haven't. I haven't. I heard about it, but yeah, just too lazy to follow up. I can certainly send you both a link. Uh, when this is over because they're all online for free and they're oh, just as violent as the movie is except more yeah. so you know that's so, another thing my dad pointed out is that the movie is super violent and that's something i don't think i recognized as a kid i just kind of thought that's the way things were but there is a lot of violence very violent well i want to talk to you about the the comic but first i'm going to read a quick overview so okay. for those who have not seen this movie quick warning which is that we are going to spoil pretty much everything in this movie. So if you have not seen this movie and you really want to watch it and you don't want to have spoilers, that's okay. You can turn off your radio and go find this episode on Mixed and it's coming soon to Apple Podcasts. However, some studies have shown that a little bit of light spoilage actually can increase your enjoyment factor. So if you haven't seen it, I would still recommend listening. Here we go. Released in 2000 by Fox Animation Studios, Titan AE, meaning After Earth, starts as one does with the earth being totally blown to pieces co-directed by don bluth and gary goldman who also worked all together on all dogs go to heaven and anastasia titan ee follows a space construction worker and son of a famous inventor kale voiced by matt damon who is found by the nefarious corso voiced by bill pullman from independence day and his band of space pirates. Kale is revealed to be the living key to a second possible Earth and home for humans. And the band embark on an action-packed space adventure pursued by the Blue Meanies, the Dredge, aliens made of, quote, pure energy. We follow the scrappy band of humans and lizard-like friends as they maneuver for a showdown to determine the final fate of humankind in the universe. Go, go. 
happen to be humanity's last great hope. I weep for the species. The pacing of the movie, I felt, was kind of influenced by Tarzan that came out the year before, because mm-hmm. that's also another fast-paced movie, uh, animated movie, which was popular at the time. So I think they felt they had to kind of like keep up that kind of pace if they wanted to um, steal that crowd, so to speak. Um, well, they didn't work as, out well, though. As somebody who watches a lot of movies, the more the more I watch movies, the more I feel like the audacity to make a two-hour, thirty-minute movie is just hubris. You know, like I watched Interstellar recently, and the whole time I was just like, you know, it, that movie shouldn't really be shorter. But there are so many movies that just I feel like it's it's taking a lot. It's asking a lot of the audience, you know. And I think a movie that stays ninety minutes is respectful. You know, <laughs> like I feel like that's respectful of my yeah. time. It's, I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I feel two out of 30 minutes and above is either confidence or arrogance. Confidence if it's a great movie, arrogance if the movie fails. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. so, Will, what kind of stuff did you find really useful in the comics that supported the story that you think made it better? Well, it, it kind of made it less surprising that Bill Pullman, uh, was as much of a traitor as he was at the end uh he just he he wasn't really friends with the uh with ron perlman in this movie uh, uh K- kale's dad <laughs> oh he my just, gosh that was ron perlman yeah that was oh ron perlman gosh. he's everywhere yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> Yeah, it establishes like the the time and place pretty well. Uh, I mean, total from the Earth blowing up to uh, the Earth being back again, it's like it's only sixteen years till Planet Bob is uh, created. Oh wow! In the That's space neutral bullet, yeah. It takes it takes enough time for our teen, you know, main character to come of age. That's literally all they were waiting for. Yeah, is for him just to the turn day 16. he turns twenty one or whatever. Twenty one, yeah, I was twenty one. You're right, fifteen years. He's six. So the thing that I think. I wish I could have gotten more backstory on is that there's only one line in the movie where they explain why the dredge are coming for the humans. And it's when Akima drew Barrymore's character says they're afraid of what we might become. And yeah, that's, it. that's not what they say in the book. In the book, it's a, it's a big misunderstanding. Uh, either we shot at them first or they shot at us, but uh, there's political maneuvering amongst the uh, three kind of, godlike figures that are in charge of the dredge and uh there's some of like uh like trade federation style bickering with them and i don't know they just sort of they they mess up while trying to do what they do to earth somewhere else with like aliens that are apparently our closest allies but they're never mentioned in the movies i don't know i I don't think the person who read the book had seen the movie uh maybe this had an earlier version of the script but it is, it's really interesting how much world building they uh, add to just like three comic books. But I don't know. It's interesting. I like that a lot more, though. I would much prefer that it was a big misunderstanding. Like that's, I don't know. I like that yeah. a lot more than just, I don't know, genocide. Yeah, basically there's three guys in charge of the dredge or one lady and two guys. And then one of them is uh, up to no good political maneuvering wise and uh, ends up blowing up the earth. 
<laughs> whoops. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Whoopsie. Whoopsie. I will say the the only time I can remember in recent history where a movie made me nerd out enough that I needed more backstory was Pacific Room, and there there is a comic for that, and I found the comic for that movie that supported the whole backstory to be like deeply satisfying, just like filled in all the gaps. You know, it's I wonder if that's like been a common thing that nerd films that have world building are able to achieve. I know that since Avatar is much more in vogue now, people talk about the comics for that too, to build out more of that world. But yeah, I say what what kind of like movies or TV franchises have you also read comics for? Uh, basically, I would say the one I've read, I read the most that I kind of like geeked out on all the comics was uh, Mass Effect. After playing the games, I had to like go back to read the comics, find like the history of the was the elusive man, and like what made him what he was to like have the entire organization to go against the robots, and then like how how they got Shepard's body back after the uh, events of Part One. Like yeah, and the world building for that was also really great, and I think really fleshed out all the characters in the game. So like Miranda, especially the characters from the Elusive Man side. I can't remember the name of the organization right now. But yeah, Miranda, Jack, the Elusive Man himself. That's cool though. Oh, so yeah. I wanna talk about I wanna talk about story and, and concept. So I read that the concept for this film was come up was from two different guys. I actually don't know too much about like where the original concept from, but I was surprised and delighted to see that Joss Whedon was one of the screenplay <laughs> writers, which made a lot of sense to me when I saw that. Were you guys surprised by that? Everyone's very sassy, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like Nathan Lane's character is like one hundred percent his like yeah you're right i need saucy i'm not gonna lie like i do need i think humor is important when you're dealing with something like huge floating bands of refugee humans on and who are like second rate in the universe you know like that's kind of heavy right (laughs) Um, so so will when it comes to ideation how did you come up with the idea for sawgrass oh for the the music video um yeah I drove around in my car listening to the song over and over, and then eventually uh, I saw what I wanted to do. <laughs> well, can you explain kind of like what happens in the music video? Oh, it's um, it's about the dangers of meeting your idols, and it's uh, yeah, this this group of aliens meet their favorite band through television, and uh, they decide to go meet them, and. Um, they they do end up uh, breaking and entering into their house, and uh, their heroes go ahead and uh, kill the aliens. So that's about it. It's a lot better in uh, visually, but but it uses puppets <laughs> too. Yeah, <laughs> you neglected to mention the puppets. Oh yes, the aliens are uh, puppets. Uh, to designed... us. <laughs> To them, Maybe they're just to normal. Them. Yeah. <laughs> to them, they're just normal people. Um, they just like to hang out and watch MTV. <laughs> I think I think that's really really one thing that's really interesting is that like the design of the puppets in the in the video is really like cute and friendly, but the subject matter of what you're dealing with and the song is really heavy. You know? <laughs> is that yes. is there? Did you meet your idol and were let down in your life at some point? No, I've seen it happen a lot on TV. Never really seems to work out. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
just with the the songs themes and uh we kind of uh built out from the puppets uh they they wanted to do something with puppets and uh eventually that idea came to me that was a lot of fun so did they make those puppets or like who uh yeah uh the the band uh made the puppets i think it was mostly the keyboardist katie and uh yeah my my girlfriend built the sets uh, lucy and uh yeah it was a, a lot of fun making that we shot it all in about a day and then like uh one night of reshoots and uh just to make sure all the puppet stuff was uh as good as i could get it you gotta have pickups you yeah. know you gotta have that that's cool so so essay chicken core is eight years old now Right? Yeah, eight years old, and uh, I have wow. to say it's it's showing a bit of its age, but yeah, eight tell years me old. About the, tell me about the how the idea came about. So the idea was from one of our uh, oh, the lead animator, Ekene Agu, and uh, till today there's still an argument over exactly what he said. But basically, he fell asleep one day, had a dream about chickens, woke up, and then said either. <laughs> Chickens will save the world, or we need to save the world of chickens. So we still don't know exactly which one he said, but he just had that idea of a chicken call after that and just started creating characters and uh, pitched the story to us. And like, yeah, and it just sounded really good. He really had a plan for a long series. Like all the characters had backstories. This was actually the prequel to the main series that we're supposed to make. Wow. Uh, this chicken core. So this was kind of like the backstory, which kind of like showed the history before the main series would start with the main characters. But uh, yeah, that didn't get off the ground. But yeah, this was very good. It's like about the world of chickens. Uh, it's kind of like about the animal kingdom. And then the chickens originally were like the rulers, kind of like top of the food chain. Right. Uh, among all the beds and everything, then the dark one, who we don't know exactly what species of bed he is, comes along. I thought that was a crow. Everybody. I just assumed. So, no, so the crow wasn't the dark one. It was just one of the generals. Oh. Yeah, so the crow in the movie is just one of the generals. Okay. And then, yeah, so they defeat the crow, and then, yeah. So the Dark One is supposed to come back later and like resume his ty- tyranny and then they'll destroy him. But yeah, that's. I, just, I always that. loved. I've always like been impressed by how unique the character design is. That they like it seems to have like a little bit of Chinese and Japanese influence and it's a little bit of who knows what else. I guess just Nigerian <laughs> art style. And then the fluidity yeah. of the motion is amazing. But you know, for whatever. Um, uh, you said it was Ikene, right? Ikene, yeah. Ikene's idea was, I mean, the, the short kind of covers both of those, you know? It's chicken yeah. save the world and they save the world of chicken. <laughs> At the same, it's kind of both. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, I was, I'm really impressed by that. Um, so that's really, I mean, I think, you know, Essay, you said that the story was just passable, but it's funny because to me, the story was what stuck with me so much is I think really through the years, it's that ending. That ending stuck with me so much that I actually had reimagined it in my mind as to be a lot more um good animation at the end than it actually oh. is <laughs> yeah, so. oh, when i was 10 years old i imagined it being like noah's ark when when the sun comes out and they uh, the sea. Yeah, you know what i mean so, like i imagined seeing yeah. the flowers and when i watched it, i was like wait there was other stuff that happened and then i was like oh i just made that up 
Yeah. <laughs> that's how good that story was to me. Yeah. Oh, no, like, we had to, like, that, that entire production was, I think, one of the craziest times of my life because we had a hard deadline. So it wasn't even, like, working animation. Now, I know some deadlines can be pushed and everything, but we had started working on this animation and then the guys that host TEDx, they were doing a TEDx in near us. So it was TEDx, Victoria Island, I think. One of the first in Lagos, by the way. So they came in and they saw what you started working on. And at that point in time, we had maybe like 100 and something frames done. So like basically less than 10 seconds of animation actually completed. But they just saw it and they were like, wow, this looks good. And then obviously our CEO, Shino, was like, sure, you'll be ready before the TEDx day and I'll be more than happy to speak about it on that day. Uh, So, so, deadline set. And when Shino went to start talking, we were still in the house finishing the the compositing and rendering. So we basically finished it, put it in the flash drive and drove to the venue and just praying that he has not finished his speech by the time we get there. Plugged it in and if that had not played or the file format had been bad, it would have just been a different story today. But yeah, but... It went okay? It went, everybody saw it? Yeah, it went well. We played it. Everybody saw it. They really clapped. And yeah, at the time we were like kind of like thinking in our heads, oh yeah, we are going to be the pizza of African animation. Uh, but yeah, but I think that it was a success story. It went over very well. The first one we did didn't have voiceover, so we actually came back to the office after the TEDx and then added in the voiceover and some other effects, some glaring errors that were in the first version. And then we put that on YouTube, so yeah. Well, but unlike Fox Animation Studios, this production did not shutter your doors. No, it right? did not. No, no. It, it actually kickstarted our doors. Like we went ahead to do a couple of other animations. Uh, some were not released, and some we couldn't actually release under our name since they were mm-hmm. kind of contracted out. But yeah, but it went well. So uh, even as the time I left the company, we actually had done a music video for one of the biggest bands in Nigeria at the time, uh, P-Square. That was also really good. Uh, we did well, but I think a lot of what contributed to Spot was eventually shutting down was just uh, the... Nigeria just wasn't the right market for animation at the time, and we weren't savvy enough to leverage uh, any international potential we had, like maybe sticking to YouTube and releasing more videos or shorter videos or basically going online, go find me and stuff. Uh, so I got my experience on the marketing side and the um, executing mm-hmm. side of things after mm-hmm. I got here. And by then it was too late to reverse apply to Spordust. So yeah, well, it well, was good. And not... I hope one day to go back to Nigeria and actually start maybe another Animation I was going to say, it's never, too, it's never too late to take what you've learned and keep putting it back into use. Now, we're yep. going to take a really quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about animation, the celebrity cast, and Star Wars, and a couple more things. Captain, we're on our way. Where are you? We're in the hydrogen trees being chased by the dredge. <gasps> See if you can spot them. Quick! <laughs> 
You're tuned into Baking from Outer Space here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Indie Radio. I'm host Cameron Kitt here with Ezio Tezzi and Will Matamo, and we are talking about Titan AE. Okay, so this movie cost $75 million to make. And when I told my dad that, he literally like almost fell out of his chair. And I don't think that he understands how expensive animation is. And I was like, the Marvel movies today are basically animated films and they cost like a billion dollars to make. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not like the cost of animation has just gotten cheaper. It's just gotten better. However, it's something you mentioned to us I thought was really interesting. So I'm going to read a quick quote um, from an interview, which is, in contest to the dredge, the heads of human characters were created in 2D with tunes, with Z, to retain what Bluth described as a human touch to the imagery. For the most part, the humans' bodies and spacesuits and props were all fashioned in 3D, which typically created a layering and tracking nightmare. The chase scenes in Sesharim, which you mentioned you liked us, was a case in point. The camera files around the explosive 3D hydrogen trees reflected in 3D water as 2D characters flee from 3D aliens with ensuing 2D and 3D effects. All in all, this scene required more than 40 layers as the work volleyed between CGI and cell departments. Woof! That, I didn't. I had no idea that was something. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, I I feel they took the worst of both worlds instead of the best <laughs> of both worlds. Like, so two D traditionally, it's actually more expensive to execute than three D, because you are painting each, indiv- each individual frame, like animating characters and everything. But then body parts are not so hard to do in 2D and there are different techniques you can use. Maybe you're doing you like you can use cutout to cheat in some parts, but traditional mm-hmm. animation, yeah, but the faces in 2D are a nightmare. So they took the worst part of 2D to animate, which are the oh, faces. That, that human touch, yes. Yes. Human touch. Of 3D. <laughs> yeah, I guess in 2000 they weren't prepared for all the emotional like meeting of brows and you know I I follow I follow Crit Corridor crew on YouTube they're very popular and one of the main guys is always talking about pores you know it's really hard to do human faces in 3D. Will Will what are your thoughts on the animation? What do you like? What do you not like? Um, I you you think Don Bluth would have would would have learned like as any lesson from releasing Cool World in theaters and earlier in the same decade but wow yeah <laughs> i mean i personally like the aesthetic a lot i, I think that i mean it, it is very brown but beyond that i i kind of it, it kind of felt like they having the uh animated characters move through the 3d spaces really sold the world more because it's like like every living creature in the in the movie is 2d except for the dredge and they're at the uh they're just this constant menace that's just in the background. So it felt kind of appropriate thematically for them to also be in 3D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's it's very distinct. Uh, I see why no one else made a movie like this afterwards, but I'm, I'm glad that they made this one. Yeah, one, one of the things I kept coming back to in my notes when I was watching this is like, it's not Disney. That yeah. is, and that's really, I think, I think it's important. Like we live in a world where Disney has reached peak Disney and it's worth almost as much money as Apple. It's just an insanely large company with so much power. And at the time in the year 2000, 
I think they were one of the only other animation studios that was putting out fully animated movies, you know, and I think they were created specifically to battle the market that they assumed existed because of Disney. But th this is a grimy world. Like Disney would never, first of all, make the jokes or tell the story that is in this, you know, this is felt very much like a PG-13 story, you yeah. know. Um, but it's kind of a gross world, you know. This future yeah. is just, it's just something in so many ways that I don't think Disney would ever try to do. And to do those mashups felt really... Yeah, kind of steampunky. Yeah, I think Firefly was definitely influenced a lot by this, by the look of Titan AE more than, I mean, Joss Whedon was involved in this. So that makes uh, sense. I yeah, had not made that connection. Like, oh, that yeah, just makes so much why. sense. He, um, uh, Bill Pullman's character literally, literally says they're space pirates, which is like the whole basis of Firefly. Is oh. that, you know, space as soon as I, and you know what's funny? As soon as I, this movie was over, I, was, I looked to my parents and I was like, have you guys watched Firefly yet? And they're like, you keep telling us to. They just don't, I don't know. It's a great movie, yeah. a great series. Only one yeah. season. But yeah, um, they, some interesting things about the production design, they were really influenced by the Hubble telescope pictures, which at, in the year 2000 had only really started coming out in their beauty. I don't know if y'all remember seeing those as kids, but the yeah. animation, the animation editor said we'd never imagine there being colors in space so that they have like reds and pinks and blues and purples. I thought that like overall, especially the ice crystal scenes, oh, they're so amazing and they that was the scene that those were the scenes where they actually used the team from star wars who had worked on the first episode of star wars to come in and do all the animation which i hate to say is why i think it looks so slick you know yeah. is but those that that scene i thought was just so memorable and intriguing and a really cool use of animation to show kind of like that cat and mouse use of, of reflections i thought that scene was really memorable yeah that's a beautiful scene plus wake angels like <laughs> and then the music the, the ensuing music that accompanies the waking <laughs> oh yeah the music although yeah. that was that was really creative like they never really touch on that like wait what what are those things like that they can breathe they how do they exist they're just out just, there exactly just awake, and they look like angels so they're like they're and wake angels and yeah. then and then he's like hey kale you want a little bit of character development it's time to drive bro <laughs> Yeah, here we go. Yeah, a blonde guy who's really good at piloting who gets pulled from uh, his boring <laughs> job and just yeah, they gotta go to that big circle, the space station, to do something important. Watching this, his angst was like a little bit unrelatable. Like he's so angsty in the beginning. I felt it when I watched it the first time. I, I definitely. Yeah, <laughs> Will, you were the ideal audience. It bro. was specifically for me. New metal, like just <laughs> he has the hair from you know luke wilson's hair and scream too and they have like, yes uh, yeah yes. <laughs> well also the iconic tank top and cargo pants pairings yes. throughout the film are really solid i thought the design for Ak akima is pretty well it like lasted i think her character design probably lasted the longest in terms of like shelf life and maybe i mean uh gosh what's bill pullman's character again so it's a k corso corso <laughs> I thought those designs were pretty good, but the Matt Damon care character is like, it's so clearly the year 2000, you know? But I love it. Uh, animation really looks good on Bill Pullman. It really does. I thought that, you know, something else I really appreciated is just the level of diversity of the crew that they show and the interaction between the alien characters and that they're, of course, all aliens still have two eyes. Even the dredge, for some reason, still have two eyes. That bothered me. 
Um, but that they're, you know, Janine Garofalo's character, like the, the different like body types are really fascinating. I think sci-fi has decided unanimously that the final form of any evolved species is the humanoid form. <laughs> so we just accept that and move on. It's just easier to really... <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. So let's talk about that new metal soundtrack. Um, the It's My Time to Fly. The, first of all, the first, the, the album, the disc starts with Lit and the song Over My Head, which I think was already written. But if you just look up a picture of the band Lit, it's like, it looks like like off-brand clones of Blink-182. You know, like, it's <laughs> no. so interesting. They do have one song oh, by no. Jamiroquai, which you got to give them credit for, at least having like a little bit of space funk. Everybody's yeah. going to the moon. Yeah. SA, it's obviously pretty clear how I feel about the music, but what, what did you think about watching the music and the or hearing the music in this time, the most recent time you watched it? So now I actually tried my best not to hear the music while I was watching it. Like I didn't want to kind of like spoil my immersion. So I would say the music was good for its time because like I remember then I had no trouble with the music at all. But hearing it again now, um, yeah, it wasn't so great. And I, I was trying to remember the... Uh, trailers that I saw and I remember that I heard that great song higher but I never got <laughs> to hear it in the music in the movie actually it's false advertising exactly okay. yeah <laughs> can somebody sing that song just so anyone can, can we get like which a one two, two, higher. Higher. <laughs> <laughs> I like no, why did you have to add the instrumentals? I just made it worse. That's the whole song. No, 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 no. The 90s draw like everything hung from the back of your throat. So I wonder, wait, Will, do you know about the connection between that song and this movie? Like, why was it used in the trailer and not in the movie? Um, They, they probably could only afford to, to have it with... Is probably not in their after they spent all that money on just developing the movie. Maybe they only were able to license it for the commercial, or maybe a scene of higher was cut from the movie or something like that. Mm, but right. they did get Power Man Five Thousand, so there's that. And that so, was the song. I know I, I highlighted that because I was like dying. The end is over. What a great name. <laughs> <laughs> there's also there's also a scene where. So I was smart enough to watch this with subtitles on and one of the lyrics, like I realized the lyrics to one of the songs was written about him and it's the scene where Kale is like doing his little wake angels drive and one of the lyrics is, my father is with me tonight. And I was like, oh my god. Um, okay, so so Will, you mentioned something to me that I thought was interesting about Star Wars in relation to this film and how all the characters are kind of like one of the characters. Can you go yeah, into that for me? It's a movie about like three Han Solos and four Chewbacca's all doing the plot <laughs> from A New Hope. <laughs> wow, hot take. I never thought about it like that. That's so true. Yeah, because like that Han Solo is gonna be the the thirteen year old boy's favorite character because like he doesn't care about other people. He's uh, he's got a cool jacket, and uh, <laughs> pretty much every character in this movie has like a, a cool jacket slash hairstyle. Everyone's smug and uh, snarky to each other. 
a lot of the same voice. And uh, yeah, all the alien characters are just like really silly, just just like Chewbacca is. Well, you mentioned that Han Solo was all of the like teenage boys' favorite character. I don't think you realize how powerful that acting, that casting choice was, because it, he was also every like older woman's favorite character when those movies came out. Harrison Ford was also a big draw for the female demographic at the time. My mom told me that she was like, when that movie came out, there were women who would go see it over and over, and I was like, oh, that's so smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, you're they're right. for Mark Hamill. They're all yeah, no. No, sorry, Mark. Um, but that's interesting. Yeah, like there isn't a. I mean, the sensitive character is Goon, right? Expertly voiced by John Leguizamo. Kind of like R two D two. He is kind of like R two D two, except R two D two doesn't like hug people and uh, lick their hands and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah, I just like that. was great as the like. I don't know what you would say. Like, uh, kind of. Oh yeah, she's a uh, herself as a kangaroo. Yeah, <laughs> herself. Yeah, a giant bat kangaroo. I think is what I wrote down the last time I saw this movie. Essay, who's your favorite character in this in this film? Corso. Why? <laughs> Interesting, because like I can't like how I put it. I kind of like sympathize with him because this is somewhere that had basically <laughs> given up. <laughs> Humanity circling the dream. <laughs> <laughs> like he's coming, like he's coming at it from a point of despair. Like so, he has already given up, and at, at the point he's in, he's now like, you know, I'm just gonna look out for Numero Uno, you know, make money and do all my schemes, just make sure I survive. I don't care about anyone else. But when he sees an opportunity, when the light actually comes in his despair, like oh there might actually be a solution. He was still willing to, like, you know, I can lay down my life for this. So, like, his redemption arc, I liked it a lot. And that's why I just liked him. Because at the end of the day, he still tried his best to do the right thing, even though he was twisted uh, and disbanded yeah. everything. Yeah. 16 well, he... really hard years since Earth got broken up. Yeah. Uh, why was it so hard to find Kale? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like he he just went when he was out of options. Like Kale, he just kind of shows up and he's like, "Hey, Kale!" And uh, he had that helper watching him, uh, Tone Loke's character. Oh yeah, good yeah. Point. Good point. Yeah, I'd say my favorite's probably Preed by Nathan Lane. He's <laughs> so like when I watched an interview with Nathan Lane about it, it's like. He's like an eloquent, well-read snob who is also a space pirate. Do you know what I well, mean? Yeah. <laughs> He's like a snobby space pirate. He's like, <laughs> fight the good fight, precious. Like, what, what kind of character is yeah. that? He's I love it. But, yeah. But I would, like, if I were a gambling man, I would have lost a lot of money, Cameron, because I was willing to bet that it was Akimo. Oh, well, Akima. it's Akima. Duh. Akima. Well, Akima does. She's just such a, like, okay, like, she has no flaws. This is the only problem with her characters. Oh, she's so cool. Of course, when I saw that movie, I was like, oh, it's me. <laughs> Purple hair. Cool slinging side belt that does nothing. Awesome. <laughs> like, she's great. But, like, what are her flaws? Name one flaw. She cares too much. <laughs> she's she's refugee scum, I guess. But... Uh... <laughs> But yeah, I thought, I mean, of course, of course she's great. And I think the movie's good with representation. It's really, uh, 
powerful in that way. But let's talk about like the star studdedness of this cast. When I said $75 million, we know a big chunk of that went to Jim Burr, Elaine <laughs> Clark, Jim <laughs> Cummings, Matt Damon, Gene Groffalo, Roger Jackson. You know what I mean? Like, hey, Charles Rocket. Yeah. <laughs> star studded. <laughs> yeah, Drew Barrymore and Pillman to unlock. Yeah, this this was really star studded. <sighs> Did it yeah. need to be though? I feel like they definitely their their personalities definitely added to uh the characters. Like you, you can tell what type of person Nathan Lane is just by uh the way his voice was. Like I, I don't think that just some random actor could have done that as well. But I don't know. It, it's it, it's kind of like it was kind of like one of the first times, like after Toy Story, where like a primarily like two D characters had mostly celebrity actors voicing them, and that seemed like kind of like a, a controversy back then with like Treasure, what what was it, uh, Sinbad and Brad Pitt, stuff like that. Oh, what was what was the other movie with Brad Pitt? Treasure. Uh, no, it wasn't Treasure Planet. It's the one with the scary Thanatos woman, and they sail off the edge of the world. Is that Sinbad? Yeah, that would be Sinbad, I think. I thought that movie was pretty, pretty actually awesome. And I rewatched yeah, it recently. Cool. I was like, oh, it's pretty fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you think about, okay, so John Leguizamo also had a connection through this studio to Ice Age. If you think about Ice Age, it's like three actors. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> three big names. This one has like fifteen. And when I watched some of the behind-the-scenes footage. Bill Pullman said that when he's in the studio with Matt Damon and Drew Barrymore, it was important for there to be an, a sensation of improv th- to build the character up. So I definitely think that like they added a lot to the success of the film, at least into like be feeling realistic, at least like the way they voiced it. <laughs> it's just clearly way too much was spent. I hate to say yeah, it. Yeah, like that. You like, could have lowballed right. it on at least six of those characters. <laughs> that's right. You know Talk with what you said. Success. <laughs> <laughs> you're right let's look at the worldwide gross you know normally when you look at opening weekend you're like oh it wasn't the total amount but they made it up in worldwide this film did not even come to half in its yeah. worldwide growth yeah this film lost money shut down that studio put the director on a watch list, suicide watch list just in case no yeah this 100 million lost <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I, was it 100 million lost it was a 75 million so. It's, yeah, it's double it the. Marketing? It's more than that. It's yeah, yeah. It's double the double the budget of seventy five million, and then you need to make twice that typically yeah. to break even. So, well, so it's, yeah, it's, so it's a, it's a made like dollar worldwide gross. No, it lost heavily. But so you mentioned it came out the same week as two other big movies. No, right? no, that was equilibrium I was talking about. But oh, this equilibrium. one came out the wrong year actually. Because it mm-hmm. came out and it was competing with uh, the Emperor's New Groove and the Hotel Dorado. Oh no! So I love the Emperor's oh. New Groove. That oh, yeah. so all of those movies are so good. Then <laughs> Dinosaur, yeah. then Dinosaur and Chicken Run. So they all came out the oh. same year. I went to see Dinosaur instead. No, exactly. I think this movie may have been mismarketed. I think it should have been marketed more to adults than to kids, to be quite honest. Like, it's a kid's movie, and I think it should be marketed to kids, but it has so many adult themes and so much violence, and it's dealing with some stuff that's really large and big. You know, I think it should maybe, maybe it was marketed to tweens and teens. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, at the time, with chicken run, you know, you so know we, are, I mean. we are talking about 2000, and around that time, 2000, 
people still looked at cartoons as kid movies or that's that was my impression at that time yeah most of the adults still looked at anything animated as a kid's movie so trying to change that i don't think this this would not have been the movie that was going to change that yeah so Mm-hmm. Yeah, they waited till up or the later the mid two thousands mid two thousand tens Pixar movies, and then it became okay for yeah. adults like cartoons again. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think Pixar yeah. was really instrumental in making that shift. Like, hey, it's for everyone. Well, it definitely it has a lot of value though. Like, I'm sad that it's like it's one of those movies that I'm sad it was a flop. Just like the movie that I just talked about on the previous episode, Edge of Tomorrow. You guys seen Edge of Tomorrow? Love Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> it's such a good movie, and nobody knows about it. You know, it's like, and again, it cost. It cost. I think it cost a third what this movie cost. <laughs> yeah, it's just like two sets. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just two sets. That's what I was talking yeah. about. I was like, you can just shoot the same scene over and over, and then you're done. Like that's yeah. the movie. But yeah, I mean, okay. Why, if you had to convince maybe a friend or a group of people who maybe aren't as big sci-fi fans to go and look this movie up, what would you say? Why would you, why is this movie worth watching right now, 20 years later? I know Will is going to say the killer soundtrack. So <laughs> let's get that out of the way first. <laughs> yeah, well, nothing I, left to say. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. So it works, yeah. Uh, personally, I would just say uh, it's a mix of things. Uh, it's a good... How I put it, I won't say it's kind of it's the kind of thing that belongs in a museum, but uh, it's a good study in coming of age techniques, as in the mix of 2D and 3D. Uh, I think that was one of the first places that it was really tried for animation, and that really stands out. Um, I would also just recommend like it has some killer action scenes, so I would, that that those would be my two days and like hey, enjoy yeah. it for the animation technique and the yeah. killer action scenes, yeah. Yeah, I would I would definitely tell people to to watch it just because it's it's unique. There isn't going to be anything like this ever again. There wasn't anything before it that like in this specific mode of making movies that I can remember. It's I don't know. You get the the cast is incredible. Uh, yeah. it, it's it's one of those movies where you can just kind of have it on the background, like like Pacific Rim or something like that, where it's just like. <laughs> Wow, yeah, Ashley just... knows that my face is immediately grimacing when you said that. No, you can't have Pacific Rim in the background, but oh on. no, I love Pacific Rim, but like it, I've I've seen it so many times that I can just have it on, and it's just uh, I, I just love looking at it. It's still scary to me when I watch it. Isn't that weird? Like I've watched it like thirty times, and I'm still like a little bit freaked <laughs> out by it. You know what else is cool? Watching the behind the scenes of how they did the animation. So you still need like lots of live action shots as reference, right? Because they didn't actually shoot Matt Damon and, B- and Bill Pullman jumping around in a floating through a big kitchen. They had actors do that on pulley wire, but they also had to create 3D objects based on real objects. So they had a bunch of prop masters and the guy, the guns that they used were made from the cut off the tops of industrial sprinklers. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> like I was like, all right. That's really neat. Like they have a really, I think there's a, like a lot of really unique design throughout the film that you're to, to piggyback on your point. Will I haven't really seen anywhere else. Yeah, the I'm closest really thing is like it. yeah, Roger Rabbit and Cool World, but those were live action of the animation, and um, yeah. Cool World was just a little too sleazy and uh, chopped up by the the studio. 
but this is this kind of feels like uh i don't know it's, it's such a unique vision and i mean it, they're using star wars to make like a, a more modern take on that where it's a lot more shades of gray like everyone's kind of got an angle and stuff it's just it's and the music of course a lot of positive new metal <laughs> montages it's <laughs> uh, yeah yeah so what I'm, I'm trying to think of other sci-fi films and the way that they use their score so like 2001 relied heavily on a lot of classical um I, I, I just watched interstellar and i actually thought the score was kind of so poor i don't know maybe it's because i've been watching a lot of ennio morricone stuff but yeah just what would make, noise. i what think would, what would make the score better you know go ahead Essay. one thing that would make the score better is if they stop putting soundtracks in the trailers that are not going to be in the movie <laughs> that's this movie like it has happened a lot, and every time it happens, I'm always like, why the false advertising? That always, like, gives me angst. Because, like, so let me give you an example. So I think it was 2001, 2002's Peter Pan, and they released the trailer, and they used Coldplay's clocks in it. <laughs> so I start watching the movie later, and I'm like, the movie is bad. There's no other way to describe it. It's bad. And I'm like, well, at least I'll get to hear Coldplay's clocks somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I did it. So, <laughs> so I left the cinema like angry in every way. That's such a good, okay, this is such a great lesson. Filmmakers out there, if you're listening to this, don't you dare use something in the trailer if you do not have the rights for that song in the movie. Yeah. yeah. The... Like people have gotten into arguments over the Inception soundtrack. What the, uh what's the name of that um guy's track? No, no, Hazima did the score, but for the trailer, the the song that most people associate oh. with Inception is not Hanzima. It's uh something heist. Le'Veon Rose? Oh. No, uh, Mind Heist by uh let me let me see if I can remember this. Uh Mind Heist by Zach Hemsey. Yeah. So that is the song that most people associate with Inception. That bum, bum, but it's not in the it's not in the movie. It's just in the trailer. Oh no. Yeah. Oh wow, I never even realized that. Just like paper yeah. planes and pineapple express. We got it's not a, it's in the it's in the trailer, it's not in the movie. Hire by Creed and <laughs> yes, just filmmakers, stop doing that, please. Just license the song for both the movie and yeah. the trailer. Just go all the way it. with the goofy music, and it'll your movie will be the richer for it. Yeah. yeah. So, you guys, with just a few minutes left, we have like maybe three minutes left. I would like to hear from each on you, each of you, on like what do you think is something you can learn from this movie as a filmmaker. This movie really helped, I would say this movie really helped us a lot when we started Spoilers, because uh, especially going into animation, um, even though it was a mix, it kind of showed us the power of what both 2D and 3D could do. And at that time, that technique was still in its infancy, I would say. So this, this was kind of like the pioneer for those kind of techniques. And we actually used that in one of our videos, uh, it was a music video for a band where we actually mixed 2D and 3D. Uh, again, 
I don't think there's any video of that. I don't think the video is on YouTube. I will look for it and send you a link. I will if I can find it. But if not, Cameron knows what I'm talking about. Uh, so we blended yeah. the technique together, and I think the end result looks pretty cool. Looks pretty cool. And I think uh, aspiring new studios can learn a lot from that if they study the movie. So, yeah. Just watch the movie, learn the techniques, and you'll be better for it if you ever want to go into animation. Yeah. I would say just have a plan. Don't don't spend $30 million in production <laughs> before you've even hired a director or... <laughs> Oh, is that what? Ha- did that really happen? Yeah, there there's a lot of creative turnover, and then by the end of the movie, apparently they were um, outsourcing a lot of the animation to, uh, I believe, Chinese animation studios. So it's it's surprising that the look the movie looks as good as it does because there was wow. like a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Wow. Well, in the in the Fox Animation video the, about the making of it, they did not mention that. I imagine they were a little more positive than. Uh... Yeah, they made it. They made it look like it was only twenty people. They literally said we had twenty <laughs> animators, and we see them drawing with graphite pencils. Yeah. And that's it. You know. Yeah. Wow. And then they're wow. coding the three D animation with those twenty guys. So don't don't spend three hundred million or thirty million on pre production. <laughs> I think most of the people listening to this are probably low budget filmmakers. So I'd say like focus on getting a story and a concept out that you can rely on. And uh, I don't know, like what are some, I, I just really like this film because it was like, it was just so unique to me in a lot of ways. I, I hadn't seen, I thought treasure planet was kind of it was okay. Know, like a letdown, I guess compared to this. Yeah. What, what about you? Esther? So I'm one of the few people that really likes treasure planet and I just like how I put it. There was just a scene in the beginning that just kind of stayed in my head. For, I've not seen this movie in at least eight years, but like, can you remember at the beginning where she's serving in the uh, restaurant and she's arguing with the son, and then there's an alien that's like, Mrs. Hawkins, my juice. Like I see oh that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That just brought back literal, literal middle school memories just now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I see it, that scene just stuck in my head for life because, like, yeah, it was just, yeah, my juice. <laughs> so, yeah, so I really like Treasure Planet. I like the uh, story itself already. Treasure Island, that's one book, like, I read a yeah. lot. So, just an ad- adaptation of the book already was great and seeing it in space was better so yeah it, it did have a really unique animation style but we have been talking about the movie titan ae and its unique <laughs> animation style and we're out of time i just want to say will matamo and sao teze thank you so much for coming on this has been really awesome yeah thank you yeah. for having me cameron yeah, yeah. thank you so much I'm and thanks for tuning my... <laughs> i'm just glad that my uh continuous watching of the direct tv pay-per-view preview for titan ae was able to go towards something positive <laughs> <laughs> is that what got you into this movie i watched that like yeah the first scene it's like that's all you really need and i watched it like 30 times and it just was on a loop forever <laughs> what do you do you think that impacted your creative life in some way do you think that helped do you think subconsciously that planted in your head that you had to go to cinema do you see cinema uh, 
<laughs> not this movie specifically. <laughs> there are movies that did that, but um, I mean, this showed me that movie could be really, really cool and uh, be made for uh, teens like me. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. This has been episode 33 of They Came From Outer Space, and you are tuned in to WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Indie Radio. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Titan AE.